welcome to the Empowered Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Shooter, Certified Lifestyle Medicine Practitioner. My aim is to help everyday people understand science, not the science, and to use that understanding to make better choices for their health and well-being. Each episode, I'll be bringing my latest Substack post to you in audio form. For the full visual experience, including graphs, charts, images, and videos, view the accompanying post in my Empowered Substack. And now, let's dive in. Episode 102, Muscle Up to Beat Hot Flushes. Hot flushes, or hot flashes for our American friends, and night sweats, which are collectively known as vasomotor symptoms, are the bane of many women's lives during the menopausal transition. Up to 80% of US women and around 74% of Australian women under 55 experience these episodes of profuse heat accompanied by sweating and flushing predominantly around the head, neck, chest and upper back at some point in their passage through menopause. 42% of Australian women are still experiencing vasomotor symptoms in their early to mid-60s and a sizable minority of women are still suffering well into their 70s. Various theories have been put forth as to why hot flushes and night sweats occur during the menopausal transition, but amazingly, the physiology of these bothersome events is still not fully understood by researchers. Hot flushes and night sweats are not simply a nuisance, an inconvenience, or a source of embarrassment. The severity of vasomotor symptoms is strongly correlated with reduced health-related quality of life, impacting significantly on sleep, mood, and cognitive function. Sleep quality and quantity are adversely affected by vasomotor symptoms. I've seen many women over the years whose night sweats are so intense that they drench the bed multiple times each night, forcing them to change the bedclothes every time. These interruptions to sleep wreak havoc on women's mood, capacity to cope with stress, energy level, immune function and food choices. Perimenopausal women who experience vasomotor symptoms are more likely to develop depression than those who aren't plagued by hot flushes and night sweats. And cognitive function, for example, the ability to think clearly, remember important information, and find the right word to use, is also adversely affected by vasomotor symptoms. And on top of all that, hot flushes and night sweats are also associated with an increased risk of cardiovascular disease and reduced bone density, which in turn increases the risk of bone fractures. Well, That's the bad news. The good news is that women aren't helpless in the face of this menopause monster. They can, quite literally, muscle out hot flushes and night sweats. The Study of Women's Health Across the Nation, or SWAN, is a multi-site, longitudinal, epidemiologic study which has been tracking the health of over 3,000 American midlife women from diverse ethnic and socioeconomic backgrounds since 1996. Women enrolled in SWAN attend regular visits in which various aspects of their health are assessed. SWAN has resulted in the publication of many scientific papers and book chapters that shed light on women's health and well-being during this epochal phase of their lives, and I've linked to the page where you can access the many studies that have spun out of SWAN in the post accompanying this podcast episode. In one of these publications titled Association of Lean Body Mass to Menopausal Symptoms, the Study of Women's Health Across the Nation, researchers tracked changes in lean body mass, that's every part of your body that isn't fat tissue, over time, and found that women who maintain higher levels of lean body mass during the menopausal transition may be protected against the development of vasomotor symptoms. Specifically, the researchers used bioelectrical impedance analysis to measure the body composition of 2,533 women enrolled in SWAN at their sixth visit. These measurements were repeated each time the women attended for subsequent visits so that changes in their body composition could be tracked over time. 
They then calculated the skeletal muscle index or SMI. The formula for this is skeletal mass in kilograms over height in meters squared, which expresses the relationship between skeletal muscle mass and height. This adjustment needs to be made because taller women will, on average, have more muscle mass than shorter women simply because their bodies are larger. The striking relationship between skeletal muscle index and the likelihood of developing hot flushes and night sweats is depicted in Figure 1, which I've reproduced in the post accompanying this podcast episode. Again, this is one of those instances where you really just need to go and have a look at the post. I'll try to talk you through the graph as best I can. So what you'll see when you look at this graph is a number of lines, and each of these lines on the graph represents the probability of participants reporting vasomotor symptoms at each visit as a function of their skeletal muscle index, or SMI. That skeletal muscle index ranges from 4, which would be a very low amount of muscle mass, proportionate to the woman's overall body size, to 14, which would be a pretty muscly woman. Almost 70% of women who had the lowest skeletal muscle index were experiencing some vasomotor symptoms by visit 10, compared to less than 10% of women with the highest skeletal muscle index. In other words, women who maintained or built muscle mass as the study progressed were able to keep hot flushes and night sweats at bay. The reason or reasons why maintaining muscle mass may protect women against hot flushes and night sweats are not fully understood. But the foremost theory at present is that muscle mass protects against oxidative stress, which is inadequate defense against free radicals and other reactive oxygen species, and oxidative stress in turn is linked to greater severity of vasomotor symptoms. This oxidative stress theory may help to explain an earlier finding which I covered in my previous article, Beat Menopausal Hot Flushes with Fruit and Veg Powered Weight Loss. In this study, it was found that women who lost weight when assigned to a dietary intervention which emphasized increased intake of fruits, vegetables and whole grains, all of them rich in antioxidants which combat oxidative stress, were more likely to eliminate their vasomotor symptoms. Those who lost weight without switching to a high antioxidant diet were no more likely to be free of hot flushes and night sweats by the end of the study. My personal experience. I entered the postmenopausal phase of my life almost three years ago. After a couple of years of increasingly infrequent menstrual periods, one day I realized that I had not had a period for over 12 months, and that's the official definition of being postmenopausal. To this day, I've never experienced a hot flush or night sweat. I've also not suffered any of the other maladies that many women complain of at this time of life. No weight gain, no sleep disturbance, no joint or muscle aches and pains, no fatigue, no depression or anxiety. For me, menopause simply signposted the end of my reproductive capacity, which is completely okay by me since I've already brought two beautiful children into the world. Did I just get lucky? Of course I can't rule that out. After all, between one-fifth and one-quarter of women don't experience vasomotor symptoms. But my mother had a terrible time with her change of life, so I know I'm not genetically predisposed to an easy menopausal transition. Here's what I do know. I maintained regular weight training and aerobic activity, as well as a whole food plant-based diet rich in fruit and vegetables throughout my menopausal transition. I've not had a body composition scan since the bioimpetus analysis, which I've shown in the post accompanying this podcast episode. This one was done about three years before my last menstrual period. But neither my diet, exercise regimen, nor body weight and measurements have changed since then. So my best guess is that it is still a reasonably accurate representation of my body composition, which was assessed as thin and muscular by the system's algorithm. The bottom line, I've been banging the drum for resistance training, which is the best way to maintain or increase lean body mass for decades. All adults should be engaging in regular resistance training, and the older we get, the more important it becomes. 
Loss of lean body mass is not just associated with vasomotor symptoms in women, but also with cognitive decline, increased risk of bone fractures, particularly hip fractures, and depression in both men and women. Any or all of the following activities can be used to maintain and build muscle mass. Bodyweight exercises such as push-ups, sit-ups, squats, lunges, pull-ups and chin-ups, resistance bands, and I've linked to the particular type of resistance bands that I use for my regular resistance workouts in the post accompanying this podcast episode. Weight training with free weights, that is dumbbells, barbells, kettlebells, sandbags and the like, and or resistance machines, the type of machines that you'll see in the weights room at the gym. Aquarobics, preferably using foam dumbbells to increase the resistance, and weighted vests. Walking is a wonderful and almost universally accessible physical activity with enormous benefits for physical and mental health, but it is not sufficient for maintaining muscle mass as we age. If you want to reap all the physical, psychological and cognitive benefits that flow from maintaining or even increasing your muscle mass and strength as you get older, you need to add resistance training to your weekly activity schedule. As the old maxim states, use it or lose it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and on your socials and make sure you subscribe to my Empowered Substack so you never miss a post.